All right. Well, good morning, Coastal. Man, with worship like that, let's just skip the preaching. Let's keep it rolling. I don't know what else I have to add besides that. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for letting me come here and, and, uh, and give the message today. Uh, like Joey mentioned, I'm the pastor of Adult Ministries uh, from the far off land of Yorktown, Virginia. Um, uh, right up the road. And, uh, and so it's, it's really exciting to get to come uh, to, to Coastal Deer Park and get to come and preach. And uh, obviously this morning in the new year, it makes sense that we'll be kicking off a new, a new sermon series, What Lies Ahead, right? Understanding uh, the will of God. And um, as we had the opportunity to sit in the room and discuss, uh, you know, what the sermon series should be about, what it should hold. Uh, and finally, after we came through those things, we got to talk about, well, what should we title? What should we name all this? And you know, we went around and people gave their names. And I offered that this should be called Free Willy, uh, but everybody shot it down. Nobody was a fan. So you win some, you lose some, I guess. Um, but uh, so, so anyways, this morning, for the next five weeks, we get to discuss the different topics of of the will of God, how it relates to our life today and how it relates forever. And so the will of God is obviously a really overwhelming topic to think about, right? I mean, there's parts as you read and as we think about the will of God that are so overwhelming, so grand, it literally kind of hurts our head to think about, right? And on the other end, as we consider the fact that the will of God is literally ordaining every day that we interact with, that it is allowing right breath to go in and out of my lungs. It's so minute and detailed that I can't comprehend that. However, despite the fact that the will of God can be this overwhelming thing to grasp, man for all time has never stopped seeking the will of God. To continually consider what is it that we are called to, what is it that God wants us to know about himself, these are the things that we'll be talking about and pursuing for the next five weeks. And so today, we'll have the opportunity to discuss that the will of God is to know his son, Jesus. You see, this past year, I've had the opportunity to get to talk to a wide array of people who have wanted to know more of God's will for their life. They want to know more of God's will for their life. And so in pursuit of that, They've done things like read new topical books. I've talked to people who are like, I need to know God's will, so I'm going to go camping in the woods for a week and go look out on this mountain range. And people who want to know God's will for life, so they go to these countries and they serve and they learn new, new places and new practices. And, and all these things are great. They're excellent. But my question for them when they come back is, did it bring you closer to understanding God's will? You see, I'm going to take the long way around to prove this point, so stick with me here. So part of my job, what I get to do, is, is spend time with college students and young adults, and we have them over to our, our house a lot. And my wife, Bree, who was in the video earlier, she makes amazing chocolate chip cookies, as you can tell by my figure, right? Um, and so every student that comes over, right, every, every young adult that comes over, they have the exact same question every time. Is your wife going to make her cookies? Right? That's literally all they want to know. And so they come over and they sit in the family room and they wait. And literally there have been times where the topic of discussion has been these cookies, right? And so even though all of these students have come over and have had these cookies, only a few students actually know and have a real relationship with my wife. And the reason for this being, while all of these students are out in the family room kind of waiting for these things to show up, only a few students actually go into the kitchen, 
to commune and spend time with my wife. And in the same way, this is true about our relationship with God. You see, because just because you know the food doesn't mean you know the cook. And so we spend all this time reading these topical devotionals, reading these different experiences and going through these different things. And all these things, while they're good, they're just what God has created. And so what we have to realize, and if what I want to know, if I'm going to know God, I can't just have the best understanding of him looking at what he's created. I have got to spend time knowing the creator. And so all throughout scripture, right, if you read it, if you're familiar with it, God has revealed himself, the creator, through signs, through miracles, through wonders, through kings and prophets and judges. And all these wonders and all these people, right, have revealed a piece of God's will to the people around them. And they were meant to benefit the people around them. But these people, these judges, these kings, these prophets, why wasn't their impact lasting? How come there's no group of people today that only follow when Moses crossed the Red Sea? Or when Isaiah gave a prophecy? You see, because while all of these things were a piece of the will of God, all of these things were only representatives of God. Only the creation. You see, in order to get this insight into what God's will is, you have to truly know God. What I need is an opportunity and an invitation to actually come into the kitchen, right? To get to commune with God, to get to understand why he's preparing this, how he's preparing this, what's the purpose of him preparing this. And that invitation, that open door, doesn't come until Jesus Christ. That door is not opened until God sends himself, God the Son, Jesus, wrapped in flesh, fully 100% God and 100% man, allowing me the personal invitation to have a relationship with God, the creator. And so in the context of where we're going to pick up today, what's happening here and what we're reading about in John chapter 6 is God, Jesus, the Son, wrapped in flesh, has just fed thousands upon thousands of people, right, with only a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And so the people here are trying to figure out, while they've enjoyed the experience of eating free food, it's great, we all love it, what they're trying to figure out is who Jesus actually is, which is a good thing, it's a good question to ask. And the best part about what we're going to read today is that Jesus tells them who he is. And so before we open God's word, let's pray together and ask that he opens our hearts and minds to it. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to get to come and share your truth this morning. I know that the people sitting here have got a hundred different things going on, Lord. That there are places for them to go and to be and people to see after, after to this time together. But I pray, Father, that those things would take a back seat. Lord, I pray that you would be the focus of our hearts and of our mind, Lord. Please, Father, allow me to preach with the hope of heaven, Lord. Fill me with your spirit so that you may be glorified, so we may walk away worshiping you, for you truly are the Son of God. Lord, please open our hearts and our minds to your presence. In your son's name we pray, amen. 
So if you all want to open up with me, John chapter 6 is where we're going to be sticking in today. Um, So John chapter 6 is is where you want to open up to, and I'm going to start reading from verse 37. All right, so in John chapter 6, verse 37, Jesus is talking to these people, and they say, well, Jesus, who are you, right? And Jesus tells them and begins to tell them in verse 37. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You see, Jesus here is explaining why he's come. Jesus is saying, I'm not just here to feed people. I'm not even just here to perform these miracles. I am here this morning to explain to you what Jesus is saying is that he has come to show us God's will. And that God's will is to know that Jesus rescues for today, for tomorrow, and for all eternity. And so Jesus is revealing that God gives Jesus his people. That Jesus has come from God to do God's will. And God's will is that Jesus would give life for all eternity. And so now, the invitation stands no longer to just have to stare at the creation. But instead, to interact and commune with the creator himself. And so this is why it must be understood. You cannot know God without knowing Jesus. You see, this is where so many other religions get stuck. This is where so many other religions like like Islam, like Buddhism, right? They get stuck in trying to understand and discern who God is and what is the will of God because they do it apart from Christ, And so what they do is they comprehend all of the creation around them. They comprehend all that they see, trying to fully understand it, trying to taste the food, experience the food, analyze the food. But they never actually get to know it because they do not know the creator. And so continually, these efforts fall short because there's no invitation to know the creator apart from Christ. And so why is it Jesus? Why? Why wasn't it anybody else? Why wasn't it a king? Why wasn't it a prophet? Why was it Jesus? Because for this reason. In verse 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And in verse 45, he says, It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Have you ever considered that throughout Scripture, Jesus is the only earthly messenger who's lived in heaven? And Jesus is the only heavenly messenger who's stayed on earth. You see, what I mean by this is that every messenger who comes from heaven, right, as you read through the scriptures, they're there for a moment. 
for, for a piece of insight, provision. And in the rarest of occasions, perhaps they even stay for more than a day. But Jesus is the only messenger who has lived in heaven. And on the other hand, every prophet, every king, every judge, they've heard from God in certain experiences. They've even seen God in heaven. But they did not get to stay in heaven. Jesus is the only heavenly messenger to have remained on earth and the only earthly messenger to have lived in heaven. This is why it is so powerful that Jesus actually came to this earth. This is why it is so powerful that here he is revealing God's will, which is his rescue plan for all of us. Because he alone has seen the Father. He alone has communed with the Father. And we know that he's come down from heaven. We know that he has lived with the Father. Because in Colossians 1 it says this, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything Jesus might be preeminent. Jesus is eternally with God. Jesus has created all things. All things are existing through Jesus. And so what that means, if we want to truly understand it, is that while Jesus is interacting with these people, while Jesus is speaking with these people about who he is, he is at the same time giving them the breath of life in their lungs to ask these questions. While Jesus is healing these people, he is at the same time sustaining the universe itself as it exists. And what we have to understand is that Jesus doesn't just come with a message from God. Jesus is God sharing his message with us. And so how will we respond to that? Because no longer are we interacting with just creation. But now we interact with the creator, with God himself. So if Jesus alone is fully God, given us the opportunity to commune with the creator, why is this so climactic? Why is it so important to know that if I want to understand the will of God, then I've got to know Jesus himself? That Jesus has come from heaven to do God's will. That Jesus will not lose anyone that God has given him, but instead raise all people. Well, we must understand this. And I'm going to put certain emphasis on these words here, and I want you to grasp it. All right? In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, God gives this promise. And he says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And do you know what Jesus claims of himself in John 8? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Furthermore, in Ezekiel 34, God says this with his promise. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds with thick darkness. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. I will rescue my flock. I will set over them one shepherd. You know what Jesus says in John 10? I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Jesus alone is the fulfillment of God's promises. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. You see, because if you want to understand the promises of God, then you must see the claims of Jesus. Because where, where God promises, I will, Jesus claims, I am. And so will you see that as true this morning? You see, this morning, it's easy to be skeptical about promises. Because you've been hurt by promises. You've had promises fall short. You've had people close to you promise things that are vital to you and they have fallen through. So when you hear someone give you the assurance of a promise, there's two responses that we might have. The first is to take this promise and not believe it at all. Because apathy is the best way towards self-preservation. Or become so skeptical of that promise that even when it is fulfilled, either you don't accept it or you don't acknowledge it. But this morning, I want to encourage you. I don't want to dismiss the fact that you've been hurt by broken promises. And I'm not denying that this broken promise has happened to you. But what I am saying and what I want to challenge your thinking with is that God is not man. God does not break his promises and he does not change his mind about his will. Because in Isaiah 46, God says, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. You see, in order to appreciate that God's will is to know Jesus and that God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus, we must see 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 that says, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And so we must see that God is not man, that he breaks his promise. And that to know Jesus is to know a God who fulfills his promises. So this morning, don't let the brokenness of man rob the beauty of God's promises. Instead, see the beauty of God's promises, that you have a God who cares for you so much that he fulfills his promise. So this morning, if you feel lost, if you feel alone, if you feel isolated, you have a shepherd who is gathering you back to himself. This morning, if 2020 doesn't look like a promising year, but a year of darkness, then you can walk with the light of the world who never allows darkness to come on his people again. Because that is the promise that God speaks to us through his revealed will of Jesus Christ. So you know, as we consider God's will, 
Sometimes we believe it to be a mystery, right? And this, this past fall, I was walking around a festival with, with my wife, and, and we were going in and out of all these different tents that uh, these different people have, and they've made things uh, that I would never consider making a living off of, like dog treats or stained glass, and things that I know people could even make. And so as we're walking in and out of these tents, we go in and out of one of these tents, and uh, this tent has certain signs that uh, this, this woman has made that you can hang around your house and in all different places. And there were, there were two signs that caught my attention. Um, the first sign said, don't you wish you could text your questions to God? And the second sign said, I wish God would sit on my bed and tell me what to do. And so I bought both of these signs so no one would believe this horrible theology. Uh, <laughs> No, I'm just kidding, I didn't, because I don't have $90 for reclaimed wood. Um, but seriously, I mean, have you guys ever heard people state things like this or say things like this, right? And I understand part of this. Yes, part of God's will can be mysterious, and it is mysterious because we're not God. However, we take that a step further, and we think that God is just continually placing us in a state of mystery because there's no part of the Bible that says, who should I date? And there's no part of the Bible that says securing your 401k, right? And so we act like God is just placing us in this continual state of mystery. However, with certain things, with vital things, with things of eternity, God has made his will abundantly clear. You see, that is why he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Because the will of my Father is that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in the Son should have eternal life. God has made his will known. You see, God, he cares about who you date. He cares about what job you take. He cares about what your day will look like tomorrow. But none of these things will raise you up for eternity. None of these things give the promise of eternity. And I don't say this to belittle your problems, but I say this to encourage you that you have a God who cares. You have a God who cares so much that he gave you the clear assurance and promise that God's salvation is for all time. Because Christianity is a promise with clarity. You see, we're not like other religions where we try to figure it out best as we can and hope that we roll the dice when we die. We're not like other religions where we try to outweigh good with bad and hope that we get some reward with it when we finish. Instead, this is a relationship that promises the pursuit of safety for all eternity. That's the truth that we follow. And so this assurance, this revealed promise and clarity of God, it is the most important factor in this life should bring you the greatest comfort in times of mystery and uncertainty. That you have a God who cares about your today, about your tomorrow, and about your eternity. And so how do we receive this promise? How do we understand this life of assurance? The people of Jesus' day, they wondered the same thing. And they had the same question when they talked to him. Because you see, in just a few moments earlier from what we read, 
In verse 28, the people ask him. They said to Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? You see, the people want Jesus to do something. But Jesus tells the people to believe something. And so often, this is how we live out our faith, that we say these words exactly. Jesus, what action do I have to perform to get you to perform? And that's what the people are asking this time. What signs do you perform? What must we do to be doing the works of God? You see, this is why Jesus is so upset if you read the books of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, with the Pharisees, because they're giving the people bad teachings, bad instruction. That you got to pay this money and give this over here, then I'll do this for you, and you'll get this from that, and then we'll all be happy, and blah, 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 and this goes on and on, right? But we must understand that God's will is not completed in people's actions, but in their faith. This is why Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in me, have faith in me. And let me put it to you this way. You see, can y'all here remember asking your parents for something? that you knew you shouldn't really actually get, right? Only a fool would go up and ask their parent that right off the bat, right? That's a rookie move, okay? If you really know and you've been around the block, you got to get them loosened up first, right? So that means you got to mow the yard, you got to clean the room, you got you to study hard for that grade, and then once you think that you've got them in the bag from your actions, what do you do? You go and ask them, right? Hey, uh, the yard looks pretty good today, huh? Yeah, I need that new baseball glove, right? And you go and you ask your parents. And you know what? We do the same thing with God today because we look exactly like these people saying, God, what do you want me to perform so I can get you to perform so you can unlock the mystery of your will for me? How many times have you prayed? How many times have I prayed? Right, Lord, please do this for me because I did that for you. Or God, if I go serve over there, then you're going to bless me right here. And so we live in this action and this performance state. But God's will is not complete in our actions. Because if we know anything about God and his word, I know that I can perform actions for God while still being so far from God. That is why in Isaiah 29 The Lord says this in verse 13. The Lord said, Because this people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is only a commandment taught by men. So this morning, today, as you're here, as you're sitting here, I want you to think about this. Are you pursuing the will of God because your heart desires to be close to him? Or are you just sitting here because you got nothing else to do on a Sunday? Are you sitting here because you're just trying to impress the person sitting next to you? Are we trying to get this performance-based mystery unlocked by our actions? Or do we have a love in believing that Jesus has opened the door to know our creator and that he came himself living amongst us 
so that I may live out a life of thanksgiving and joyfulness of service and worshiping God. Because God did not remain a mystery. But he showed his will to us. You see, I can't answer that question for you this morning. You have to answer that question for yourself. I can only illuminate it. So how do I consider this truth? How do I pursue after the Jesus who clearly, clearly reveals the will of God? Well, verse 40 says, This is the will of my Father. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. You see, faith is beholding and believing in Jesus' promises. Faith is beholding and believing in Jesus' promises. You see, now, fortunately, when Jesus says, everyone who looks on me, he doesn't mean people who have literally seen him. Otherwise, right, we'd be in big trouble today. But what he means is this, because the word behold means to observe for the purpose of analyzing and understanding. And this is why we should be thankful for the fact that we have the word of God. It's a gift from God that's living and active. And this is where I want to dive into what I was discussing earlier. You see, we read these topical books that have Jesus just sprinkled in the pages. We go and we try to have these experiences of, of going into nature and, and standing on the mountaintop so we can get some story from it. And so many people want to know God through all of these different experiences that we have. So what we do is we conjure up these emotional experiences. We get the lights going, we get the fog machine going, we play the piano the whole time while someone preaches so your life feels like a movie. And yes, there is a good message in preparing our hearts and minds to worship the Lord. But there's a difference between preparing our hearts and mind and manipulating our hearts and mind. And so what we must understand is that if all we are after is an experience instead of an understanding, then we are no better than the people speaking to Jesus, saying, what will you perform for me? What will you allow me to feel? What warm and fuzzies will you give me? You see, because here Jesus says, you must understand me in order to know the next step, which is believing in Jesus. And you see, my point in making this and pausing here is because if the only time I think Jesus is moving in my life, if the only time I think that I am close to God is when I am on top of a mountain looking at a view, or I have the opportunity to go to a faraway land, or I have the opportunity to get this emotional experience, to have this intimate feeling, that I am not prepared to believe in Jesus. And why? Why is that? Because guess what? Every day doesn't come with three hours to go on a hike, does it? Your life doesn't come with a background music track, does it? And you probably don't have a fog machine laid up in your office, right? Because if I think the only time I get to behold God is when I'm having an emotional experience, then when it comes time to believe in God when my marriage is falling apart, when it comes time for me to believe in God when I'm wrestling with anxiety and depression, then I will never get to that step because I do not know how to behold God. Because I must understand how to behold God by opening his word. Because his word is living and breathing and active. It is the will of God stayed for us in our time. And so that means I must open the word of God, even the parts that are overwhelming. I must discuss the word of God in community, even when it's difficult. And I must find community to help me live out the word of God, even when I don't want to. 
And this is what it means to behold God and his promises. You see, because when I begin to behold, then I will begin to believe. And what, what is it that I will believe in? You will believe that you have a creator who loved you so much that he sent his son on this earth to live a perfect life, to die a perfect death, and to raise bodily from the grave because Jesus came down from heaven and he lived a life fully God and fully man. And he did the will of the Father perfectly in my place. And he died in my place, taking on the wrath and the penalty of sin and death so that he died perfectly in my place. And he went into the grave taking sin with him and taking death with him. And where three went into that grave, three days later, only one came out. Only Jesus was bodily raised from the grave where now he has ascended and lives in heaven forevermore so that all who believe in him will be raised for the last day. That is the fulfillment of God's will. Do you believe it? You see, because only Jesus has revealed the will of our creator and heavenly father to us. This is why believing in Jesus is of eternal importance. There is no other promise in this world. There is no other religion in this world. There is no other way in this world that has the same clarity and assurance for the promise of eternity other than Jesus. You see, Hindus, they claim to know gods, right? And the way they get to know this gods, these gods is they have to detach. They have to detach from relationships. They have to detach from the world. They have to detach from themselves. And so instead of living completely within this world around you, they model a God who is self-removed because he is self-consumed. Buddhists believe that you have to know a God who desires you to earn your salvation through perfect efforts. The Buddha says, be a lamp unto yourself. Rely only on yourself and do not rely on external help. Do not look for refuge to anything besides yourself. They model a God who gives no grace. Islams believe in a God who desires deeds from prayers, fasting, and charity. And so if you do these things, these earthly goods, these material goods, then when you die, there's a record of your material actions and they have a God who only rewards with material experiences. Why? Why are all of us so different while claiming to know a God? Why is it that we cannot coexist to know the will of God? Because the only way to know the one true living God is to know the one true living Jesus. And the one true living Jesus is the only assurity and clarity of our life for all eternity. That is the difference maker. And so we must see and believe that God calls and Jesus alone raises. All that the Father gives to me, who believes in me, I will raise on the last day. I will lose nothing of all that God has given me. God has called us for all time 
back to himself. And unfortunately, while some of us, our friends, our family, the people in our community, may behold Jesus, they never truly believe in Jesus. They do not know the God who raises from death to life. So I want to finish with this. It's a, it's, it's a bright day today. It's beautiful out. There's no clouds in the sky and the sun is shining. And uh, when you were a kid, did you ever try to stare at the sun? Yeah? I wasn't the brightest kid, obviously, if you can tell. And so we try to stare at the sun, right? We try to see how long we can do it. But what's the issue? You can't, right? Because it hurts. Our eyes are not equipped to stare at the sun. And so what we do is we squint, we shield our eyes. And unfortunately, though, I need the sun to carry out everything that I'm going to do for the day. I need light in order to see. I need light in order to function. Now, fortunately, I don't have to cut a hole in my house, my car, and my office in order to get through the day, right? Because we have lamps, right, all around us, providing us light to see and function and get through the day. And so today, we have considered a lot of the purpose of knowing God's will in Jesus for the here and now. But what I want to shift and end with and expand your view that God's will is to know Jesus is that we have to know Jesus not just for today. It's God's will to know Jesus not just for today, but to know Jesus for all eternity. Because Jesus is needed for all eternity. You see, God is calling all things back to himself, and all those who believe in Jesus will be raised on the last day, But I want you to take heart this passage that we're about to read in Revelation 21 for knowing that God's will is to know Jesus. This is Revelation 21, starting in verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the lamb. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the lamb's book of life. God is the light. And Jesus is the lamp. You see, even in new creation, when all things are called to God himself, it is still God's will that we would know his son. Because God is so glorious that he is illuminating all of new creation for all time. There's no end to it. There's no stop to this light. But we know that we have a God who is so holy, so set apart, that as you read throughout the scriptures, not even the angels can look directly on him. But we have a God who is communing with his people here, illuminating the new creation, so we're living within it. But I need Jesus to process that light for me. I need Jesus to allow me to function by the light, to see the light, to love the light. Because it is God's will, even in new creation, that I would follow his son. It is God's will that Jesus would illuminate eternity for me. So that I may worship God forevermore. And no man, no woman, not you, not me, sitting here today can have this light. We cannot have eternity unless our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That is why 
We must know and please believe that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. There is no new creation apart from the Son. There is no new creation for us apart from believing in Christ. And I can only see God's beauty through Jesus. It is God's will that you know Jesus. This is what will light the path for what lies ahead. And this is the will of God. Let's pray.